Sunday before last, we began to unfold the truths that Solomon wanted to teach his sons from Proverbs 14, and I'd like you to turn in your Bibles there in the remaining time that we have, Proverbs chapter 14. Listen again to Proverbs 14, verses 1 to 15, as we seek to fill out from last time the way life seems to a man. Proverbs 1, 14, 1 to 15. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. He who walks in his uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is devious in his ways despises him. And the mouth of the foolish is a rod for his back, but the lips of the wise will protect them. Where no oxen are, the manger is clean, but much revenue comes by the strength of the ox. A trustworthy witness will not lie, but a false witness utters lies. A scoffer seeks wisdom and finds none, but knowledge is easy to one who has understanding. Leave the presence of a fool, or you will not discern words of knowledge. The wisdom of the sensible is to understand his way, but the foolishness of fools is deceit. Fools mock at sin, but among the upright there is good will. The heart knows its own bitterness, and a stranger does not share its joy. The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Even in laughter the heart may be in pain, and at the end of joy may be grief. The backslider in heart will have his fill of his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied with his. The naive believes everything, but the sensible man considers his steps. I said to you last time that if there was one verse which captured the essence of this chapter, it would be verse 12. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. It is meant to shock men and women into seeing things for the way things really are and not how they appear to be. The verse confronts us by telling us in no uncertain terms that the way life seems to a man is not the way life really is because it isn't God's way. Solomon shows us in the first 15 verses of this great chapter that there are all kinds of ways that men assume life is to be lived, but as Solomon regularly does, he confronts all of those wrong ways by giving us its opposite. These opposites are the ways of God, and Solomon pleads with his sons to see these obvious contrasts. And in his instruction, Solomon gives us 13 biblically revealed contrasts between the way of life and the way of death, six of those which we covered last time. Let me remind you of those first six. He first talks about the way of a woman or a wife in her home, verse 1. Also, secondly, the way of a person and his behavior, verse 2. He speaks also of the way of a person and his speech, verse 3. Fourthly, the way of a workman and his productivity, verse 4. The way, number five, of a witness and his honesty, verse 5. And number six, the way of a scoffer or a fool and his folly. And we saw that in verses 6 and 7. Tonight, 
I want us to look at the next seven ways which seems which seem right to a man. Let's start with verses 8 and 9 in our Bible study tonight and look at this seventh way that seems right to a man. We could say it like this, the way of a wise man and his wisdom and will. The way of a wise man and his wisdom and will. Look back at verses 8 and 9. The wisdom of the sensible is to understand his way, but the foolishness of fools is deceit. Fools mock at sin, but among the upright there is good will. Right off the bat, we have an explicit affirmation from Solomon about the way of a man. Do you see it in verse 8? The wisdom of the sensible is to understand his way. He's clearly speaking of the right way of a man versus the way that, uh, the, the right way of God, I should say, versus the way of a man. He tells his son, when someone desires to understand his way or his path or his direction, the only, uh, the only sensible solution is God's way. Hasn't Solomon already warned his boys about being deceitful? Do you see at the end of verse 8, the foolishness of fools is deceit? Look at Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1. Proverbs 11, 1. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. A false balance. That means someone is being deceptive in the way they balance the scales. Chapter 12, verse 5. The thoughts of the righteous are just, but the counsels of the wicked are deceitful. And verse 20 of that same chapter, chapter 12, Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors of peace have joy. He speaks much, does Solomon, about deceit, and he does the same here in the latter part of verse 8. The foolishness of fools is deceit. Now, he could be referring to the fool's own self-deception, that he's deceiving himself or how he deceives others. But he's certainly teaching that whoever is foolish, the foolishness of a person, it's meant to characterize them, and it's a deceitful foolishness. But not so for the sensible. By the way, that word sensible could also be translated shrewd. And whether you call it a shrewd person or a sensible person, he's wise and his wisdom guides the path that guides him onto the right path. Or you could say it this way, because of his sensibilities, because of his shrewdness, he understands the way, the right way to a far greater extent, and he follows the best course of action in his life. Proverbs thirteen sixteen says, Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool displays his folly. That's it. That's exactly it. A prudent man is the one who finds the right way precisely because he acts with godly knowledge. But a fool, because he's using his own faulty and worldly wisdom, will simply display his own folly. Hasn't that been taught to us so very clearly in the New Testament? Turn in your Bibles to the book of James. James has a great deal to say about this matter of wisdom and, of course, to stay away from folly or foolishness. In James chapter 3, 
verse 13. It talks about wisdom from above. And it says, James 3.13, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom, that kind of wisdom that's arrogant and lying against the truth, is not that which comes down from above, but is three things. Earthly, natural, demonic. Isn't that an interesting way for James to characterize worldly wisdom? It's not just that it's not a good idea. It's that it is earthly, it is natural, and yes, it is even demonic. He goes on to say, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But notice it's opposite. Just like Solomon in the Proverbs. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And then he ends by saying, And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown by peace by those who make peace. The whole book of James is just like this. It's like the book of James is the New Testament's version of the Proverbs. Or we could say it this way. The book of Proverbs is quoted several times in the book of James. It's the wisdom book. It's the practical wisdom book of the New Testament. So whether you're in Proverbs or you're in James, it is precisely... What the Bible teaches here in Proverbs 14, 8 and 9. It's just the clear contrast. Do you want the wisdom of the sensible way? Or do you want the foolishness of the deceitful way? You decide. That's what Solomon really is telling his son. You decide. I've shown you the right path. I've shown you the right way to go. I've given you the wisdom that you need to be on the understanding way. Or, if you so choose... The foolishness of fools will put you on the deceitful way. And what do fools do with God's wisdom? Say, for instance, God's perspective on sin. Well, look at Proverbs 14.9. Fools mock at sin. Isn't the proverb just a pithy, direct, right-on-target kind of statement? Fools mock at sin. But among the upright there is goodwill. Remember our outline point. The way of a wise man and his wisdom, that's verse 8, and his will, that's verse 9. The person who's upright, yesarim, righteous, has a way that is full of goodwill. Or maybe that could even be translated favor. A person, in other words, who is an upright man, wants to extend his will or his favor or his benevolence toward others. He wants others to do well. He desires to help others when there's a need. He wants to put his favor upon them. Isn't that exactly what James said when I quoted him? Speaks in the effect of the goodwill of a wise person when he says that this wisdom from above is peaceable, it is gentle, it is reasonable, it's full of mercy. You see, that's what defines what it means to give or to extend goodwill to those around you. You want to be peaceable. You want to be gentle. You want to be reasonable. You want to be full of mercy. That helps define for us what goodwill is. You're living your life in such a way that others see your good works. Matthew chapter 5 verses 14 and 16 say it this way. You are the light of the world. 
A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works, your favor toward others, your good will, and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Which one are you? Someone who's mocking at sin? Or an upright person who is extending goodwill to others. Proverbs 12.22 says it this way, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal faithfully or favorably are His delight. See, if you extend goodwill to others, being a person who wants to act favorably, Faithfully toward those around you, you'll be the delight of God. Proverbs 16, 7, When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Maybe you could get yourself out of some trouble, maybe even with an enemy, by extending your goodwill, trying to be pleasing to the Lord, trying to be upright and acting favorably toward those around you. But what about the fool? Verse 9, he mocks at sin. He makes light of sin. He brushes it off. He doesn't take it seriously. Fools by their very nature don't discern the true nature of what it means to please God. And among the upright, there's a sensitivity not with a fool. The fool doesn't want to discern how to do good deeds to others. They mock even at other people's calamities. They deride others. They mock at evil. By the way, the word for sin here in verse 9 is the Hebrew word asam, and it's used for a variety of evils. Sometimes it's used to refer to the guilt of a person who needs to pay restitution. It could also refer to taking false oaths, ceremonial uncleanness, stealing, cheating. Fools mock at that kind of thing. They mock at these things, and the sad part about it is they think that that's truly the right way, right? Because... There is a way that seems right to a man. They think that's the right way. To mock at sin, to laugh at stealing and cheating and to minimize it, to explain it away. But not the upright. He wants to do goodwill. He has wisdom. The way of a wise man and his wisdom and will follow that way, God says. Number eight, the way of a person and his heart. The eighth contrasting way. Verse 10, the heart knows its own bitterness, and a stranger does not share its joy. You see, in addition to the way of a wise man and his wisdom and will, there's the way of a person and his heart's emotions. Do you remember the expression, you can't judge a book by its cover? Well, its thought might have originally come from this proverb. Solomon's saying you can't know what a person is thinking or what his true emotions are because it is only his own heart which knows alternately either bitterness or joy. Now this particular proverb, unlike the others, is not contrasting polar opposites. It's simply pointing out that a person's heart is known only to himself. Whether his emotions are at any one moment either bitterness or joy. Maybe we could say it like this, only a person's heart knows its own gamut of emotions from bitterness to joy. 
What's Solomon after here? What's he trying to teach his sons? Well, he's teaching them that the outward manifestation of a person can be deceiving. And we can't always tell what's going on inside someone. Only the human heart of that person and their knowledge of their own inner thoughts can truly comprehend what's going on inside of them. Job spoke of that same word bitterness by the way, in Job 7.11 when he said, Therefore I will not restrain my mouth, I will speak in the anguish of my spirit, I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. And even his three counselor friends did not know what was going on inside his heart. They misjudged his motives. Now we know that Jeremiah 17.9 says the heart is desperately wicked, who can know it? This proverb isn't contradicting that. The proverb, if you remember, is simply a pithy statement that's designed to give a nuance about life. It's not intended to say everything there is about life itself. It's not intended to say something about the heart here from a very nuanced theological perspective. It's not like Jeremiah 17.9. It's just simply saying you can't always know the full range of emotions of a person. And Solomon's warning his sons. Great warning. Great wisdom here. Watch out. Be careful. Don't assume the motives of a person that you're dealing with. We know that God is the only one who tries the human heart, who tests the mind. Jeremiah 17.10 actually says that. God is the one who knows the heart. He alone tests man's mind. The Lord's the only one who can ultimately assess the motives of a person. Proverbs 15.11 says, Sheol and Abaddon lie open before the Lord, how much more the hearts of men. Proverbs 16.2 says it this way, All the ways of a man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs his motives. Proverbs 21.2 likewise says, Every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. I guess what I'm saying is, be careful. Be careful not to assess the motives of people. That's what Solomon is saying here in Proverbs 14.10. The heart knows its own bitterness, only the heart. And a stranger, someone who's outside of you, does not share its joy. By the way, that's precisely why the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1-4, to don't judge the motives of another person. Explicitly so. That's a biblical command. Don't judge the motives of another person. Don't assume you know. How many times in a marriage relationship would you say, well, I just know them and I know how they'd respond in a certain situation? Well, you might have lived with a person long enough to assume that you might know how they would generally react in certain situations. Yes, that's true. But how many times have we been wrong? How many times have we assumed that we knew what someone was thinking and it wasn't what they were thinking at all? How often are we convinced of someone's motives and then we find out we're dead wrong? We could assume that someone has impure motives when they're really attempting to do good deeds to those around them. And there are times when we assume someone's motives are pure and they're actually bent toward evil. He's saying to his sons, be careful not to assume you know the heart of a person and work diligently on your own. Wasn't that true of Hannah in 1 Samuel? She was praying fervently to the Lord and Eli the high priest thought she was drunk. Be careful, he says, the way of a person in his heart. You have to do your very best not to assume motives. Great practical instruction. Number nine, the way of the wicked and his house. The ninth contrasting way 
of a man, the way of the wicked and his house. Verse 11, the house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. Oh, this is so simple. What is fascinating about this proverb is the fact that the wicked man's house would in theory be more stable, more strong, because it's referring to a house, isn't it? As over against the tent of the upright. You would assume that this particular proverb would have been reversed in your mind, talking about the tent of the wicked because they're unstable, and because of that, he could use the idea of a tent, which is obviously less stable than a house, hasn't been built on a strong foundation, but here he's giving us the sense that really it isn't so. The tent of the upright, the yesarim, is a more secure dwelling place, and a Wicked man's house, the resaim, they are actually to be destroyed or annihilated. The point is, whether you live in a tent or whether you live in a house or whatever your dwelling is, be upright. Be a righteous person. And conversely, if you live in a house or a tent or whatever it is, if you're a wicked man, wherever you're living, it's going to be destroyed. The emphasis then is on the heart. The emphasis is on either being a wicked person or being an upright person. And when it talks about flourishing, doesn't that conjure up in our minds Psalm 1-3 that the righteous man, the upright man, the godly man, he studies the Word of God day and night and it's like for him a stream of water which builds its roots around the grand foundation of his life. And whatever he does, he prospers and his leaf does not wither. It's like that man spoken of in Psalm 92, the righteous man who will flourish like the palm tree. As over against the wicked who are constantly said in the Bible to be destroyed, annihilated, to be judged, to be condemned. Which way seems right to you? Which way seems right? You say it's obvious. Yes, it's obvious. But if it's so obvious, how is it that so many people choose that way? So many people choose that way. And it is so because it's a way that seems right to a man. But it's not God's way. And there's a tenth one here. Verse 12, the way of a person and his destiny. The way of a person and his destiny. Verse 12, this is our touchstone proverb. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Here's a person clearly talking about his destiny. And notice in the New American Standard Bible, the words which seems are in italics, which means that it's supplied by the translators. It's not in the original text. And we could read it, like this. There is a way right or straight. There is a way right to a man, but its end is the way of death. That's the ultimate question, isn't it? Question of the ages. Do you want to pit your own knowledge, your own ideas, your strategies, or do you want to seek the true wisdom from above? Just like James said, you want the wisdom from above that is peaceable and gentle, fruitful, 
or your own wisdom, which is natural and earthly and demonic. And when you ask someone, like in an evangelization kind of context, what do you think? What's the right way? What's going to happen in eternity? What's going to happen to you when you die? Ask a person that question. See what kind of answer you receive. Oh, well, my philosophy of life is dot, dot, dot. And sometimes just listening and not saying anything for a while, you can receive a whole host of bizarre answers. Isn't it true? Well, the, the way life seems to me, or I've got my own theory about what's going to happen in the end. And however they phrase it, this is the proverb for them. There's a way which might seem right to you, but if it's not God's way, the end of that way is what? Death. Death. Isn't that what we find in our Bibles? Look over at Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Matthew seven twenty-two. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Read in this. It was the way that we thought was right. It, it was the way that seemed right to us. But something was amiss because in verse 23, Jesus says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. In other words, it wasn't God's way. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It's not the right way of God. It's not what God wants for you. Oh, you might have been around the fringes of the fellowship. You might have even assumed that you were doing God's way, but you weren't. Proverbs 5.21 For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord and He watches all His paths. And what does the Lord find as He watches all the paths of a man? Well, for some, He'll say this, Proverbs 5.11 And your groan at your final end when your flesh and your body are consumed and you say, how I have hated instruction and my heart spurned reproof. I've not listened to the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to my instructors. That's precisely why Solomon says, sons, I'm giving you godly wisdom. Don't go that way. It's a way that seems right to you, but its end is the way of death. Please, I beg of you, I plead with you, I exhort you not to fill your mind with worldly wisdom. Whether it's my talking to my own children and my own family or my own spiritual family, don't fill your mind with worldly wisdom. It's natural, it's earthly, it's demonic. Fill your head with the Word. Fill your head with God's book. Bruce Waltke writes, the house of the wicked, this very proverb, Proverbs 14.12, the house of the wicked is annihilated because it is built 
on the flimsy foundation of human epistemology, the relative truth accessible to human sight. Only the omniscient, omnipotent God knows the true road that leads to life, reality as it actually is. Truth is beyond the reach of finite humanity. The Lord Himself must reveal the right way through His inspired sage, that's Solomon. And the disciple must accept that revelation by faith. Number 11. The way of a person and his responses. Verse 13. Even in laughter the heart may be in pain and the end of joy may be grief. Now this sounds like verse 10, doesn't it? But it seems to me to be looking at a person's emotions or responses to life from a little bit of a different angle. Verse 10 appears to be looking at things from the person's own perspective and how impossible it is for us to really know what is the true thinking there. But this particular proverb seems to me to be saying that it isn't misjudged motives we're talking about. What Solomon is teaching his sons here is the issue of outcomes. I take it this way because of the use of the phrase, and the end of joy, the outcome of joy. The end or the outcome speaks to me of what a person will experience in the balance of their life as opposed to a warning about assessing someone else's motives. In other words, even when someone is presently engaged in laughter, the ultimate outcome for them might be pain. And the end of someone's present joy may ultimately in the final outcome turn to grief. You know what I thought of when I thought of this particular proverb? I thought of comedians. I thought of those who make their living by telling jokes and making people laugh. Did you realize that some of the most miserable people on the planet are professional paid comedians? The suicide rate of comedians is meteoric. Some who at least appear initially to be laughing and making others laugh in the heart may in the final outcome be great pain. And the outcome of joy may turn into grief. Boy, what practical instruction from Solomon. He says you can't always assume someone's motives. Verse 10, you can't always assume the outcome until the end. Someone might be having a roaring good time. The heart may actually be an intense pain in its outcome. And and what about the righteous? Because remember, this is not particularly contrastive either. Well, you could say that what appears to be a measure of suffering for the righteous will be in the outcome great rejoicing. And what may be actual grief right now could very well in the final analysis turn into great joy. We must out... We must await the outcome of individuals, don't we, including our own. And what may appear to us to be a slighting or a mistreatment or unfairness might ultimately, when God adjudicates all matters, turn into a God-honoring outcome if we really know and love and serve Christ. That's the perspective of all martyrs. What may be intense suffering and pain and persecution will ultimately turn itself into great blessing. Let your laughter be turned into mourning, James says, 
but for martyrs, their mourning will be turned to laughter, to joy in the Lord. Number 12, the way of a backslider and his deserts. Verse 14, the backslider in heart will have his fill of his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied with his. Boy, don't you just love these contrasts? I mean, a backslider, it's a rebellious person, a perverse person. It's a person who moves in a different direction than they were going before, than their original path. It's used in the Old Testament, this particular word, for someone who turned back from following the right path. They were on the right path, or so it seemed, but then they backslid. And what will be the consequences of those who have fallen back, fallen away, backslidden from following the right path? The NASB says it this way, he will have his fill of his own ways. could mean that a backslidden person is given back everything he's dished out to people. So much so that he's given the fill of his own ways. He'll experience the fruit of his own backsliding deeds. Indeed, it could be like Proverbs 1.31, So they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. Could be that. Or, this phrase about the backslider and the consequences of his life may be that he will simply have a just punishment. He'll have the fill of his ways, not in the sense that he'll become sick or fed up with his own ways, but that he will be judged with the consequences of his own sin. His own backsliding will overtake him and he'll he'll be repaid fully for his own error. Oh, but look at the contrast with the good man. He'll be rewarded with his ways. Again, the NASB has supplied the phrase, be satisfied. It's not in the original. But the sense of this verse just as well could be that like a backslider will have the fruit of his ways, so a good man, a righteous man, an upright man will have the fruit of his ways. It's the fruit of your life. It's the consequences for how you lived your life. If it does have the sense of receiving the fill of a man's thoughts and actions, then the key areas of emphasis on this verse are obviously on the terms backslider and good man. If you're a backslider, you'll have the fruit of your way. If you're a good man, you'll have the fruit of your way. So clear. And for a backslider, there's a way. It seems right to him. But his own ways will find him out. And the end of his way will be black backsliding death. Finally, number 13. The way of the naive and his beliefs. Verse 15, the naive believes everything, but the sensible man considers his steps. You see, yet again, the continuing emphasis in this verse on the way of a man spoken of here as steps. It's a series of steps which seem right to a naive person, and in their specific case, with who and what a naive person is in their heart, their steps which happen to lead in all directions. It's like the man who jumped on the horse and rode off into all directions. Because he believed everybody. He just followed everyone, everything everyone said. He, he's just led astray because he's gullible. He thinks every way is the right way because that's what he's told, that's what he believes. But we know every way can't be the right way. 
Because if every way was the right way, then there'd be no wrong ways. And if there were no wrong ways, there couldn't be a right way. But the naive, he's easily misled. And boy, when we're talking about eternal paths to either heaven or hell, naivety, not a virtue. Not a virtue at all. But what does the sensible man do? What does it say there in verse 15? He considers his steps. Remember the sensible man? He's shrewd. He's wise. He's keen. He's understanding. He considers. He takes careful heed to where his steps may lead him. He doesn't listen to everybody. He doesn't follow every whim and fancy of the world and its offerings. He doesn't listen to someone on the phone or in the theater, or in a book, or magazine, or on the radio, and say to himself, well, that sounds plausible. That sounds good. We'll, we'll do that. Proverbs 4.14, Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not proceed in the way of evil men. Naive people, that doesn't even register. Doesn't even register. The sensible man, the prudent man, the shrewd man, he doesn't fall prey to those in Proverbs 1.10 who say this, Come with us. Let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us, let us swallow them alive like Sheol, even whole, as those who go down to the pit will find all kinds of precious wealth. And can you see the naive person? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what we'll do. That sounds good. Solomon says, My son, don't walk in the way with them. Notice how many times in the Proverbs, way, path, step, direction. Don't walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path. For their feet run to evil and they hasten to shed blood. But the naive says, when someone comes along and says, come with us, we'll have a great time. Oh, the shedding of blood, oh, it's a minor deal. And the naive person says, sure, what time do I need to be there? I'm sure no one will really get hurt. It's probably a figure of speech. Must metaphorically mean the shedding of blood, but can't really mean that. It sounds like fun. We're probably talking about a game and not the real deal, right? That's the naive. The way of a woman, the wife in her home, the way of a person and his behavior, the way of a person and his speech, the way of a workman and his productivity, the way of a witness and his honesty, the way of a fool and his folly, the way of a wise man and his wisdom and will, the way of a person and his heart, the way of the wicked and his house, the way of a person and his destiny, the way of a person and his responses, the way of a backslider and his deserts, and the way of the naive and his beliefs. Have you found the way? Let's pray together. Have you, dear person, found the way? Are you someone who is naive, a backslider, thinking that your way is the right way? A wicked person? The fool, scoffer, 
Are you devious? Foolish? It's not the right way, I warn you. The end of those who are characterized in those ways is death. Are you a wise woman? A wise wife? Upright in heart? Fearing the Lord? Trustworthy witness? One who has knowledge and understanding? Discernment? Sensible? Prudent? Extending goodwill? Knowing your own heart and motives? Flourishing in your righteousness? A good man being satisfied with the fruit of your labor, sensible considering your steps. Oh, that's, that's the right way. That's the way that, that isn't seeming to be the right way. That is the right way. And Lord, may those in our congregation and those who are visiting and those who hear this sermon from afar. There is a way that seems right to a man. But its end is the way of death. Choose God's way through His wisdom. And you'll be blessed. Lord, thank You for granting us the privilege and the honor of systematically, sequentially going through these wonderful Proverbs that tell us the way life really is. Thank You for not keeping us in the dark, but revealing to us boldly and in the streets, crying with wisdom to those who desperately need it. Lord, may we not rely upon our own wisdom but look only upon the wisdom from above. And we'll thank You in Christ's name. Amen.